listening to Everyday Engineering, the City of Madison's engineering podcast where we talk about infrastructure. Complex topics explained simply. From the water that flows down your drain to the rain and snow that drains into the lakes. By way, the curbs and streets we design. City engineering touches your life in so many ways. Explained right now in Everyday Engineering. PFAS, perfluoroalkyl substances, are a class of chemicals widely used in cookware, food packaging, stain and water-resistant clothing, upholstery, and firefighting foams. The compounds do not degrade and are showing up in dust, soil, and water worldwide. It really is a busy conversation for a number of people across the nation, and more specifically and locally here in Madison, it's captivated and necessitated the attention of homeowners, politicians, and city government leaders. But there is a lot of misinformation and information floating around and uncertainty about the topic. So in this episode, we want to clear the air and explain PFAS in a way you can understand. My name is Hannah Molinitsky, City of Madison Engineering Division Public Information Officer. Today I'm joined by Bryn Bemis and Madison Water Utility Water Quality Manager Joseph Grandy. Thank you both for being here. And Bryn, of course, you're from engineering. First, let's establish for anyone not familiar what is PFAS? Well, PFAS are a large and complex class of over 3,000 man-made compounds that contain fluorine. And they've been used widely in industry and consumer products since the 1950s. Some PFAS compounds are persistent in the environment, bioaccumulative in animals, and may be toxic to human health. So, and they're very popular because they uniquely repel both oil and water, making them common in waterproofing for clothing, paper products, nonstick cookware, as well as things like firefighting foam and a variety of other industrial uses. Sure, and can you both kind of explain, now that we've established that, you know, what is PFAS, what exactly do both of you do for your respective agencies? And Bryn, maybe you want to start because I think um, not a lot of people know that in engineering what you're doing. So I'm an environmental scientist for the engineering division, and I primarily work on contaminant issues, like managing contamination in soil and groundwater, mostly just how it impacts city property and in the city right-of-way. And so when it comes to PFAS, my role has been really to serve as an environmental translator, trying to figure out how is this affecting city of Madison, the city of Madison, Madison property, and groundwater, surface water, and soil. So Joe, Joe has a little bit more specific experience because his work is with the water utility. Right. So uh, I am the water quality manager for the Madison Water Utility. Uh, my primary role is to test our drinking water for a full suite of uh, PFAS and to res- report those results um, of our testing to the community. I also serve as a resource for city and state officials um, as we collectively learn more about PFAS and um, come up with and develop action plans for addressing this complex issue. Sure. So uh, we kind of came up with this topic for the podcast because, you know, we in engineering, we take a lot of media requests from local media and as a city as a whole, and uh, we get a lot of media requests for information, state media on PFAS, and no matter really what we're sharing right now with a lot of journalists across the state, that's a lot of vetting and agencies and long email explanations of this complex topic. The information is not always shared as a whole. Uh, we understand that you know there are time constraints in TV mediums. There may be um, certain constraints in print. But what we always expect, especially when it takes vetting and a lot of different agencies to compile all this information, is that it's uh, reported accurately and 
there are no shortcuts. Um, there are a lot of people looking at the city. They're looking at a number of agencies on what we're doing and why we're you know working together and how we're sharing information about this so that's why this topic is so important for our community uh, so we established what PFAS is and we should note PFAS versus PFAS um, but can you both kind of explain how it's impacting our residents and why it's a topic that's really important for us to address I think recently there's been a lot of attention on drinking water and that's largely because Madison has been very proactive uh, on this issue and testing all of our wells um, for a pretty broad suite of uh, PFAS compounds. Um, but what I think that we have to consider is that PFAS are commonly found in consumer products. It's not just drinking water. Um, it's in nonstick pans, it's in waterproof clothing, it's in stain-resistant furniture and carpets. Um, so we're exposed in many ways to PFAS compounds. Um, they're also present in food packaging and most likely in our food. Um, and that's not very well understood at this point. Um, yet the Wisconsin uh, Department of Health Services um, has reported or suggested that upwards of 50% of our exposure is coming from food. Um, and maybe to a lesser extent, 20% um, or less in drinking water. Um, so we do know that um, since we have tested all of our wells, um, PFAS uh, have been detected in 14 out of, our, out of 23 wells uh, in the city of Madison. Um, and they're found at very low levels um, by, by, any, by any standard that's, that's been set either at the federal level or at the state level. Um, as a precaution, we have taken one well offline, um, and it's been taken offline as we gather more information. Um, with respect to what the potential health effects might be due to the combination of those PFAS compounds that are found at that one specific well. Um, but uh, the detections that we are finding at our wells are at very low levels and levels that we don't think are of a significant health concern. I would say in the environment, the primary source of PFAS contamination in Madison centers around the Truax Air National Guard Base and the Dane County Regional Airport. With this information the past this past summer, DNR sampled Starkweather Creek, which drains from both of those areas. They sampled both water and fish tissue. And we, we're still waiting on the fish results. Those are going to be very interesting. But the water results showed PFAS contamination along the entire length of Starkweather Creek. So right now we're really in an investigation phase. And I think one of the reasons that uh, this topic feels so urgent right now is because we're waiting for regulatory agencies to establish clear standards for what is an acceptable level of contamination. People don't People want to say that no amount is, is okay, but the reality of the environmental remediation field is that we're exposed to different contaminants all the time through our air, our food, our water, our environment. And I think if I could just touch on one point about Starkweather Creek, I think the, the larger concern is um, the bioaccumulation of those PFAS compounds in fish. So what does and that mean? What is bioaccumulation for anybody who's not familiar? What that means is that when you're um, continually consuming that and that, that that's being put into your body, your body is not breaking it down and expelling it. And over time, those concentrations can increase in your body. And this is especially true in the food chain. So when um, fish are eating little fish or um, macroinvertebrates or insects, 
um, those PFAS can be uh, in those um, in their food supply, and then that get gets passed along and it increases in concentration within that food web or with that within that food chain. And I think we don't have any information at the present time in terms of what those PFAS concentrations might be in those resident fish or those um, fish that would be uh, har- could be harvested from Starkweather Creek. But I think that there is some significant concern that these PFAS compounds are bioaccumulating. They are accumulating in the fish, and they could present a, a health risk to people that rely on that as subsistence farmers. Or excuse me, subsistence fishermen. Sure. And to, and to put that in context, all of the fish that come from our lakes right now already have a fish advisory on them that DNR has issued um, because of both mercury contamination and PCB contamination. So there already are fish limits that are advised for both men, women, and children based on those two other types of contaminants. This would be adding, this potentially adds PFAS to that list of, of contamination. So from a health concern perspective, I think, you know, if any of us listening to this do not know anything about PFAS, but we know that there's a lot of conversation about it, we want to know, should I be concerned for my health? So um, as we know, high levels of PFAS exposure have been linked to a variety of health concerns, including increased risk of some types of cancer. But I think people are most concerned about their health and how it could be or could not be impacted. So can you both kind of shed some light on this and um, explain from that perspective? Sure. I think some of our, or a lot of our understanding in terms of potential health effects come from exposures in the Ohio River Valley and and in Parkersburg, West Virginia, where there was a chemical manufacturer that had released um, PFOS, which is one of the specific type of PFAS compounds, um, and had significantly contaminated uh, the drinking water supplies in in the communities around around that factory, around that manufacturer. And um, the the PFAS levels that were found in the drinking water are 100 times higher than the health advisory level that has been established by EPA. And so that was significant uh, PFAS contamination. And um, so studies have been, have been linked those PFAS exposures to those, those health effects that have been observed in that community. And that has served as the basis for some of the uh, health advisories that have been established. Now, again, putting this into perspective, Madison drinking water and the PFAS that we're talking about in in our area here in Madison is significantly lower than even that health advisory level. And that's important. Can you just repeat that last part, one last bit? Is they're significantly lower than what? So there's, there is a... EPA has established a health advisory level. Many people have set, su- suggested that it is not sufficiently protective of, of public health, and that level is at 70 part per trillion for two PFAS compounds, PFOA and PFOS. Um, the Wisconsin Department of Health Services has come up with a recommended groundwater standard, which is a health-based standard um, for exposures to PFOA and PFOS. They've lowered that down to 20 part per trillion. All of our drinking water is lower than those those proposed health standards. Sure. We talked a little bit about it, but where exactly is PFAS coming from? Where are those chemicals coming from? We kind of talked about it a little bit at the beginning in the intro and a little bit, but like as we're talking about this, you know, where are they coming from? Well, in the environment in Madison, the primary source that we've identified so far has come from firefighting foam associated with the Air National Guard base in Dane County Airport. 
Um, you also find it around dry cleaners because they could say sometimes offer stain or waterproofing services. And there's a variety of other manufacturing. I mean, in terms of um, consumer products, they're in uh, grease-resistant paper, microwave popcorn bags, pizza boxes, candy wrappers, cleaning products, water-resistant clothing, uh, the stain master coating that you get on your carpeting or on your your couch. Um, what are some of the other big ones? You've like, mentioned most of them. Sure, sure. And we're going to talk about some of the misconceptions about the topic in just a second. But before before we get to that part, I want to talk about what is the city doing, you know, and how this is taking a lot of interagency coordination and then with the county and everything like that. So can you share what we're doing? I think from the city perspective, it's continuing to apply pressure on the Air National Guard and the state to require a pretty comprehensive uh, site investigation and cleanup at, at Truex uh, and, and the Dane County Regional Airport. Um, from, from, from what I see, those are the known sources of PFAS that are out in the environment. And those are the ones that we believe, based on our studies, are impacting our drinking water well. Um, and so that, I think, is really where most of our attention really needs to be focused on is really cleaning up that known contamination um, and then following up with identifying other potential sources of PFAS contamination, which at the present time, we don't know of any other sources. It's believed that biosolids or the, the solids from a wastewater plant that gets land applied out in ag agricultural production, that can be a potential, potential source or, or be a potential transfer um, of, of PFAS from one location to another. Um, and, uh, but they really, we really haven't identified specific, um, other sources that are out there. Why is it important to apply pressure? It's important to apply pressure because there's been very little action right now. And, um, there is significant PFAS contamination at Truex at the Air National Guard, um, and at the Dane County Regional Airport. And, um, there has been a request uh, by the DNR for the Air National Guard, and they committed to doing um, an investigation and to start the, the cleanup process, um, but there hasn't been the, a funding source that's been identified, and so that process has been delayed. And so um, that's really where the um, effort needs to, needs to begin, um, and unfortunately it hasn't, that, that process really has not started yet. I mean, I should say there's 500 Department of Defense sites around the country, and the base here is not unique. All of them have PFAS contamination because they all offered firefighting services for, for planes, and for, they all use the same AFFF foam. So our site, our Air National Guard base, is in that queue of 500, and the Department of Defense has determined that it's not a priority. Well, it's a priority to us, and so that's why we have to keep the pressure up. What are some of the misconceptions about this topic? We kind of hit on this earlier in the podcast episode, and anybody may be listening to this at any point in the year, you know, whether there's results released on different testing and that sort of thing. Uh, like I mentioned, and, and for anyone listening, I do have a journalism background. I spent 10 years working in journalism, so and an investigative data-driven part of my career as well. So I am critical of some of the reports that are out right now because I do see how much work it is when the media request comes in, 
we all vet and make sure that we have all the information and then when we see the report out and residents are reading it and it isn't always the same or accurate for that mean for that you know it makes my news heart hurt to see that but i think it's really important to let residents know to be critical of what you're ingesting from information standpoint and to really read up and educate yourself by listening to a podcast like this, by doing your research and really studying up on what is out there and the information that is out there. Um, so I don't mean to be as critical, but I also do to the reporters and the journalists that have the responsibility to reporting the accurate information, because this at the end of the day is about getting information out accurately so that our community can understand every part of it. So what are some of the misconceptions that people are ingesting right now about this? I think there's just a lot of focus on drinking water and there's a lot of concern about that. But I think what what is missed in, in this discussion is that drinking water is a small component of people's everyday exposures. As Bryn mentioned earlier, these PFAS compounds are common in everyday consumer products. So we're exposed to these compounds in many, many more ways than just in the water that we're consuming. It's, it's present in the food um, that we have as well. Um, and the food is likely representing 50% of our exposure. So I think that we have to keep that in, in consideration. I think the second point that, that I'd like to make is that um, the, there really aren't established um, standards that everybody agrees upon. And there, um, and I think that Madison's water is being judged not against a, a federal health advisory level standard. It's not being judged against uh, a recommended groundwater standard. It's being judged against other state standards that are being established for this. And then for other folks that um, feel that those standards are not protective enough, and suggesting that the levels, the, the, the protective or the safe level is even an order or two orders of magnitude lower than what these regulatory bodies are talking about. And I think um, it, it misses the point um, that these compounds are present and they may be present in water, which we've, we've documented, um, but their exposures are significantly greater in, in other sources. Um, and, and even if we were to be able to remove them uh, completely from our water supply, um, it's not going to reduce or eliminate their exposures in their, in, in their other everyday exposures. Any resources? This is one of my last questions for you as we're nearing our end of our time. Uh, what are some resources people should stay connected with for accurate information? Well, the, the DNR has a great website on it. So if you Google WDNR PFAS, which is P-F-A-S, That'll bring up their site. The Wisconsin Department of Health, you can do the same thing. They have a PFAS page. Uh, there's another group called the Interstate Technology Regulatory Council, ITRC, and if you Google them, they have, good, they have a good website. There's, I mean, this is at the forefront of every state and federal agency right now, so there's a ton of information out there. And I would just say locally, Madison Water Utility maintains uh, a website that has lots of PFAS information. So uh, folks can go on and look at their well and see if it has, uh, has been found to have any PFAS present and what those levels are. Um, and we provide um, lots of information in terms of what that all means, what the city is doing, what the water utility is doing. Um, and we have links to some of the resources that Brim just mentioned. And we'll include those in this as well, the blurb under this podcast episode. Uh, any last thing that we didn't hit on? Um, 
that you think is worth mentioning? You know, what can people do to protect themselves as we continue this conversation, uh, which probably won't be going away for quite some time? I, I think the uh, one thing that public health will be posting some signs on Starkweather Creek, alerting folks to what those those risks and hazards might be related to the PFAS detections in Starkweather Creek. Uh, I think the other thing is the question that always comes up is, what do I need to do to make sure that my drinking water is safe? Well, our drinking water meets all state, meets all federal standards for health and safety. We don't think filtering is necessary. However, if customers feel an additional need and want an additional uh, level of safety, uh, a uh, activated carbon or a charcoal filter may uh, reduce PFAS, uh, PFAS uh, compounds that are found in drinking water. Again, we're not recommending that people do that. None of the regulatory bodies, whether it's the DNR, uh, Public Health Madison-Dane County, or the Wisconsin Department of Health Services, has recommended that uh, Madison drinking water be filtered for uh, consumption, even for the most sensitive populations, including infants and pregnant women. Um, we don't think that it's necessary, but folks may make that decision as an additional safety precaution. I'd also avoid Teflon pans or other nonstick cookware. Uh, watch for packaged foods because it's going to be in those pizza boxes and, and uh, your hamburger wrapper, things like that. And avoid stain-resistant treatments on furniture and carpeting. Those are all really good things that we can kind of take away from this and apply to everyday life. So thank you both for being a part of this podcast episode. Uh, if you have any other questions, feel free to contact the city. Um, we have all sorts of resources here to answer your questions, and we want to make sure that we're transparent and sharing information of what we're doing and, and what you can be doing. Uh, again, thank you both for being here. Thank Very you. important. Happy to be here. Yes, thank you. Again, for anyone listening, if you have more questions about this topic, click over to our City of Madison Engineering Facebook page. Again, you can also click over to the Madison Water Utility website and Facebook page. They have lots of information because we're here for you as a resource every day in engineering. <laughs>